What's going on? Welcome to another episode of the Mike Janella Show. I'm Mike, you know that. And Jonah Carey is on the phone. I couldn't do the song justice, Jonah, but welcome. Thanks for coming on the show. That's a pretty good Steve Perry impression. I get technically a Rich Banks impression since Rich does the parody music, which is the intro to my podcast. All right, an impression well, well done. of the impression. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah. I honestly can't believe that I have you on the show. This is, for those of you who don't know, my favorite baseball writer, and that's not just flattery because oh. you're on the line, um, but he is about to blow up in 2016, and I'm just so glad we were able to get you on before spring training and the season gets started. Um, the hardest thing for me is figuring out what to talk to you about because we don't have you for long, and I could talk to you for hours, but uh, for those of you who don't know, he's a New York Times bestseller formerly of Grantland, maybe most famously, debatably, and uh, he's now about to blow up uh, your Nerdist podcast just debuted uh, last week from the time we're taping this. You'll be on Writing for SI this year. You're on MLB Network already, one of the preeminent national baseball writers. So, Jonah, I mean, busy hot stove season for you personally. How crazy has it been the last couple months? Very, and, and CBS Sports wasn't even in that mix. That just happened. We're talking uh, the day after that occurred, too, and that was... Uh trippy they basically they put out a press release I, I feel like that was the most surreal part nobody's ever put out a press release about, about you like, yeah we are joe terry and they put it out at the exact moment that i was on live television on mlb network so i was like eight-year-old me doesn't understand first of all what the internet is or what a press release is but also any of this other stuff it's, it's very fun and i'm uh gratified and, and and flattered and it's super nice i'm just trying to work hard and do good stuff and if people like that then, that, then that's great I mean, it's, if it's not the 27 Yankees of a lineup for what you have on your plate right now, it's at least the 95 Indians, I think. <laughs> from, from when you were at Grantland, where you had everything under one umbrella and you were so centralized for such a long time, and now you're, yeah. you were basically a free agent right after baseball season, now you have things in a million different places, what, what do you like better? Which one do you sort of prefer? Uh, I'm going to be perfectly blunt with you and tell you that it's a lot more this way uh, uh, nice. I would recommend that I would yes it is nice especially when you have children I'm not I don't really I'm not much for things or possessions but when you have children and you're trying to calculate the cost of uh, going to four years of college 12 years from now yes. it's a lot of money so uh, yeah no that's that's an interesting thing where you just kind of you give yourself different opportunities and it's fun I get to try different things SI I'm going to be writing uh, my column that I wrote uh, for Grandland called the 30 which is my Monday column big power rankings thing that's fun uh, CBS will be three times a week. I'll be doing some writing, some video, and they kind of, kind of want me to be definitely analytical too, but even just be lo more loosey goosey and top 10 Simpsons references or remind you of the Milwaukee Brewers <laughs> or whatever, you know, really just, just go nuts with it. So that's good. MLB Network is TV, of course. I do TV for ESPN, but MLB Network for a baseball guy. I mean, you know, and that's a great fit. And the nerdist thing is fascinating. Um, I had a podcast at Grandland, it did pretty well. And I was kind of shopping it around and, and talked to a bunch of different places. And in the end, it became obvious that Nerdist was the best place because not only did they say, yeah, come to your podcast here, but they said, maybe you can do some other stuff. So we're starting a venture called Nerdist Sports, which is literally just my podcast right now. Uh, and I can't really get too far into it. But suffice it to say that if the podcast is well-received, uh, then we will do some other stuff over there with uh, some people whose names you might recognize. Let's put it that way. So that could be a lot of fun, too. And, you know, for people who want to subscribe, uh, just search the Jonah Carey podcast or even just Jonah Carey on iTunes and you can subscribe. And I will give you a million uh, wet hugs and kisses if you do that <laughs> because uh, it's, it's definitely a labor of love, that one. And uh, we're trying to just trying to grow it. Yeah, um, I've already subscribed, so you can put that on my, my tab, right. uh, Hugs and Kisses. The Chris Hardwick episode was great. That's the only one that's been published Thank at you. the time of our publishing. So 
basically, the, the whole point of this show is to talk to people about how they got to where they are and kind of the journey. And we'll get back into your, your deep cuts, your sort of minor league days uh, for your career in a little bit. But talk to me about uh, getting to Grantland, because I think that, I'm fair to say, or tell me if I'm wrong, really opened you up to a lot more avenues. Does Bill Simmons just call you one day and say, hey, I like your work. Come work for this sort of Avengers of writing that we're assembling? Because that's, uh, that's my dream. Or how did that work for you? A little bit, except it wasn't Bill. Uh, and I've known Bill for years. When he was writing his column in the late 90s, I think I was one of six people who was reading it. And I would email him inside. Just, you know, I think he put his email on the side for Digital Cities Boston. And I said, right. hey, you're great, you, you 27, 8-year-old, 30-year-old person who I've never met before. Uh, and he said, thanks, man. I appreciate that. And we sort of kept in contact a little bit. So we, we were aware of each other. And, you know, I, I had other jobs and uh, made something of a career for myself, but it was actually a guy named uh, Dan Fearman who was the yep. person sent me an email. Dan run, ran kind of the day to day of the website. He's now running uh, MTV News and has hired uh, like five or six amazing grand letters to go work over there, which is great. And he just said, We all like your work and, you know, we'd like to try you out to see what's what, but we definitely like you. And it, it's like anything else. When somebody hires you, it's often kind of a, a trial period. And I wrote a piece on Gino that they liked and did a couple other things. And just really hadn't focused so much on baseball. Uh, because they were, they, they kind of did their pre-launch in you know, April, May, whatever, and that was already playoffs, especially for basketball, and Bill's a huge basketball guy. Right. And then they launched on June 8th, which is like, what, during the NBA Finals or close to it. So even though baseball was going on, I think that the focus was, oh, you know, there's other sports happening right now. Then the other sports end, and it's like, hey, do we have somebody to cover baseball full-time? You know, <laughs> they had, it's uh, the middle of August. What do we do now? Yeah, they had Randy Gisarelli, who was my old colleague at Baseball Perspectives, and is really good, but he's uh, you know, a board-certified dermatologist with a wildly <laughs> successful practice. Yeah. Turns out he has a very important career elsewhere, uh, whereas I'm an actual sports writer, and uh, Randy is great. I mean, Randy pound for pound as good as anybody, but she didn't have the time to do it full-time. So they brought me on, and, and that quickly became a full-time gig, and, and it was really great. And they, they just really focus a lot on not only being a good writer or producer or podcaster or editor or whatever, but just be a good person. They, they, they care a lot about that. And it helps. You want everybody pulling from the same side of the rope. If your piece, which you really like, doesn't happen to leave the site that day, be chill about it. You know, if the other person needs a little help, help them. If you need a source, flip it. You know, maybe tweet some of your, your colleagues' work, too. I feel like these are all things that I did before, but it was really kind of drummed home at Grandland. It's just be a team player in life. Be a, be a nice guy. A wasn't, nice wasn't the woman. motto there, don't be an a-hole? That was kind of the team... The team mantra. No a-holes. Yeah. That's exactly right. And, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I, 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 that's always, I try to do that anyway in my regular life, but it's really cool to have a, a workplace that doesn't just say it, but they really emphasize it. So, you know, oh, yeah, the Avengers, and it's great, and, like, Zach Lowe is probably the best basketball player in the mm. country and is also famous and well-established and whatever, but he's a great dude, and so is Bill Barnwell, and, you know, Katie Baker's awesome. Everybody's awesome, and, and uh, that, that really... It's uplifting to know that everybody is kind of in it for the same thing, where if you are a team player in that way, it turns out that you can totally grow your own reputation and, and, and become uh, something of a star, at least in your own little niche, but without having to step on somebody. I think that we all wish that for our fields, no matter what, if you're an accountant or a dentist or whatever, it's like, yeah, you can be nice and not have to be Machiavellian, but still establish yourself. That's great. I think the biggest compliment I can pay any of you guys from your time there, uh, that comment of a site, was that anytime I read something from most of the people, my initial feeling was, man, I just want to go grab a drink and hang out and watch sports oh, or The Bachelor with these guys. And I, I think that's the best compliment any reader can pay someone they're reading. Um, no, I, I appreciate that. And, you know, I don't, I'm not much of a Bachelor fan, but I do like beer and sports. <laughs> but sure, yeah, no, absolutely. 
So, well, let's stick with what you know then with baseball. The thing the thing I respect most, I think, about your writing is that you take these highbrow concepts because the sport's going, it's been going very sabermetric, very analytical, but you still integrate it so seamlessly for kind of the common man or the traditional fan or the person that likes narrative more than statistics. Where does that rank bridging the old school romanticism of the sport and the new sabermetric model and making that still entertaining and informative writing? I mean, that's me in a nutshell. You know, my dad was buying me books on Three Finger Brown when I was eight years old or whatever. <laughs> so I was, I, I love the history. I love the romanticism. When I go to a game, I am a fan. And not only that, I'm having conversations with my friends and we're having a good time. And we're like, it's, I, I don't think I come across as a typical nerd. You know, I mean, no. I am a nerd, but, <laughs> but, I, but I'm, but I'm outgoing and, and, and friendly and, 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 and do have a deep appreciation and, I've read so many books on Jackie Robinson and Ty Cobb, and I mean, I really care about that stuff. So there, there's a place for all of it, and, and, and frankly, people should consume it however they want. If they're not into analytics or they don't buy it, that's fine. Baseball's great that way, and if you do, that's also fine. If you like both, that's also fine. There's so many layers by which you can appreciate such a cool sport, and I would argue it's the same for other sports, by the way, like basketball. Mm-hmm. I grew up playing basketball. You know, I was pretty serious about it, and uh, just play pickup all the time, even later when I wasn't playing NB anymore. And I love the thing, and I didn't come to analytics until later, but now I love basketball analytics too. And if you don't, that's fine. So, yeah, you know, sports are meant to be consumed whatever way you want to, and I'm not judging about it. And if you believe that batting average is the most important thing, or <laughs> fine, that's, that's great. That's totally, that's totally fine. And there's always a way to enter a conversation and, and respect the other person's point of view, but maybe put forth your own as well. But, you know, this is also an angle you could consider, and they could say, oh, okay, I never thought of it that way, but sure, I get it. All right, maybe wins aren't the most important way to judge a pitcher's barometer. Yeah. So, so you get two baseball perspectives. That was, what, 2002? Is that right? Yep, that's correct. So before that, you were... And you're contributing to a bunch of different places, but what were sort of your your low A, your minor league short season years like professionally before baseball perspectives? How did you end up there at a time when it was still not really quite on the map, and by the time you left, it was? You know what? I, I don't know if that's a perfect comp. I don't think it was quite low A. It's more like, if you want to think of it in baseball terms, it's more like I was the assistant VP of ticket sales. Like, <laughs> I, I had actually a pretty decent career but it was totally on the other side of it. I was a business writer for more than a decade. In fact, even when I joined Baseball Perspectives, my full that wasn't a full-time job. My full-time job was covering the stock market for a paper called Investor's Business Daily, which is a, quite a significant it was for a while. It might still be the second largest business paper in the country behind the Wall Street Journal. And uh, I would do hardcore stat, uh, uh, stock stuff. I was doing that from age 24. Wow. And, uh, and the reason that I did that was just because it was very difficult you know, I wanted the Simmons Meyer path. I wanted to be able to weigh in from a from with a voice of authority. I didn't want to have to go be a beat writer and eat hot dogs in Milwaukee at, at midnight on a Tuesday. And I, <laughs> right. I didn't want any of that. I, as good I, as the bratwurst there is, yeah, it's not the best lifestyle sure. for some. Yeah, I, you know, by then I was already married. We got married pretty young. I, I just wanted to kind of do that kind of outsider thing, and it wasn't available to me. So I said, how can I advance in this profession a little quicker and not have to sit for 40 years and wait for the local columnist to retire uh, for the newspaper. And, you know, the Internet started to come up, so it became an opportunity to do things on the side of baseball perspective. But I was always a stock market guy, and and, uh, and that worked out well. And as the Internet grew up, I started transitioning more and more to baseball and sports writing in general, because that was my career goal. I mean, you know, I, I pretty much at age 12 or 13, I was very tall, but I figured out that being tall was not going to get you into the NBA. I was more of a basketball player than a baseball player. Yeah. 
And once I realized I wasn't going to be in the NBA by the time I hit my bar mitzvah, I was like, okay, I need a new plan. Oh, cool, I'll go write about sports. And, I'm, you know, that's a long, long time ago. And and, uh, and that turned out to be the path that it was going to take. It just took a while to get there because the Internet, like I said, wasn't mature. And I really didn't want to have to go through the rigmarole of newspapers, which is just so... It, it was really focused on seniority more than meritocracy. Not mm-hmm. that you can't be awesome at age 62 or 72 or whatever, but I felt that it was... You know, there were too many biases against people in their twenties. It was like, why? You know, maybe I'm paying my dues, and I'm not being arrogant, but I'd like to have some kind of hope for the future. So I had to get away from that traditional newspaper field, go to the internet uh, to find what I really wanted to do. And it's obviously worked out. Do you do you feel like you still? What do you think you still have to improve upon as a writer? Because you mentioned meritocracy is kind of the name of the game now, especially on the web. You've done a lot. You're extremely successful. What is sort of your goal to make yourself even better in 2016? You know, it, it's just to do the thing that I've been doing, but just be a little sharper. And, and story ideas are what drive the thing, really. So, you know, uh, go out and find the stories that are not as well told or not told at all and tell them in a compelling way. That that could apply if you're somebody who's digging under rocks for baseball prospects in Aruba, or it could apply, apply if you're a staff guy, or maybe you do a little bit of both. And I think that's very much in play. So I want to do that in a way for me to... I, what will happen if I do that? As long as I stay committed to that path, that will always keep it interesting. You know, it could be August and I've been writing every day since February and whatever, but if I'm coming up with dynamic new ideas when it's the dog days, not just for players, but for writers, I think that will be reflected in the quality of the work. So that's the big thing. And, and to come up with new ideas, what do you do? You read, you watch games, you you know, talk to friends, you try to flush things out, and, and you, you just stay engaged. You just can't. It's very difficult to kind of half-ass it and then circle back and say, oh, I got a deadline tomorrow. All right, I'll write something about the Braves. No, you got to be on it. You got to be enthusiastic about it. So really my goal is not so much one specific procedural thing. It's to make sure that I'm enthusiastic about what I do. And I'm a very enthusiastic guy. So the chances are pretty good that that's going to happen. But like, for instance, the CBS thing is a totally different kind of thing. And they want me to, you know, really inject some fun into it, a little bit of pop culture. And maybe like, I love basketball. I'd love to do a little bit of basketball. And, I think that'll serve me well. I think that by, by mixing it up and not having it up in a grand line, I get all super duper analytical stuff, but just making sure that I strike that balance that will keep me motivated. That'll keep me thinking of new ideas and, and hopefully to reflect in the better content for the readers. And the same thing applies by the way for TV and podcasts. You know, the first episode you said was um, Chris Hardwick. The second episode is somebody completely different than Chris Hardwick, a, a phenomenal monster guest. I mean, maybe the best interview I've ever done in my life. Wow. Two and a half hour interview. So, so good. I'm I'm hyping it up. When's this going to run, by the way? Do we know the date? Uh, this will be, today's January 9th. It'll be within the next week, so maybe by February 2nd or 3rd, something like that. Okay, so so that the Friday of that week is when this episode is coming out. Actually, it'll be a two-parter, so one part one will be on the Thursday, part two will be on the Friday. It's freaking phenomenal. It's a really good one. And uh, and that's already in the can. The third one's in the can. That's totally different than the second one. So I, I like the idea of bouncing around and and, and I think the podcast medium in general is really cool as a leavener, as something that's totally different from, from other muscles that you're exercising. It allows me to have different kinds of conversations. So last year, or the last few years, when I was at Grandland, it would be very, very baseball-specific. I'm going to talk to the beat writer of the Astros about the Astros' backup second baseman or whatever. Now it's all over the place. Some baseball, some basketball and hockey and football. And some of it has nothing to do with sports. And I think that by having... You talk about the diversity of, of places to, to work for. By having the diversity of things that I do, whether it's TV or podcast uh, or writing and maybe even some other stuff down the road, 
that really lends itself to just saying, oh, this is fresh, this is new, I don't feel bored or worn down or burned out. And then it's the monster interview that will be coming out, and I'll give you a chance again to plug it there at, here at the end of the show. Where does it rank in terms of your, your career highlights so far? Because you have you sat down with Pedro, you're a New York Times yeah. bestseller, that's a pretty big life goal. Uh, what would you say is sort of the hierarchy, the pyramid of what you've been able to accomplish so far? Those are two biggies. I remember when the New York Times bestseller news came out, I was in L.A., and I was having just like a little, like a party, like a celebration. Oh, the book came out. It was a few friends in L.A., and I got a call, and I said, I got to take this. And they said, hey, your book is the New York Times. And I was just like, what? That's amazing. Because <laughs> it was about the Tampa Bay freaking devil race. Right. I was like, do people really care about that? You know, you don't know. As the first time, I'd done books, but with the baseball perspectives group, I'd never done a solo one. That was exciting. And the second book was cool, too, because if the Rays were obscure, the Expos hadn't existed for uh, a decade. Yeah, at least the Rays were still a functioning team. <laughs> sure. And um, and I got that call. And uh, and granted that it was in Canada, because we really did try to push it much harder in Canada. But that was the, not just the bestseller, the number one bestseller that week. And the people that I beat out that week were Ariana Huffington, um, that astronaut Chris Hatfield was a big deal. Malala and Malcolm Gladwell. Those wow. were like two, four, two, three, four, five. Smoked all those guys. <laughs> Eat that, yeah. Gladwell. Yeah, that was very, very exciting. I, I was just beaming. I, and I remember where I was when I got that phone call. I was just leaving. I was having a, like, brunch, like a weekday brunch with my wife. It was like 11 o'clock in the morning or something. And uh, it, was, it was just very, very exciting. Um, those were great. Pedro was unbelievable. Got to sit down with him for more than an hour. And that's, by the way, uh, Google that. It's great. Just Google Jonah Carey, Pedro Martinez. It is good. Yeah, there's yeah. video of it, too, because we shot at the Grandland Studio. Such a cool, heartfelt interview. When Pedro got into the Hall of Fame, I actually crashed his Hall of Fame party with nine fellow Expos fans. Nice. Uh, and we had drinks with Pedro and took selfies with Pedro. So that was amazing. Uh, and probably the other thing that comes to mind was uh, I was on the late night with Seth Meyers. Which right, was yeah. Bananas. Uh, and, and that was really a credit to Seth because he's just such a big nerd. And I said that in the nicest way where he, he figured, yeah, you know what? I'm going to have famous people on the show, but I'm also going to have this random dude who wrote a book about the Montreal freaking expos. And he let me speak in French and beat Philly <laughs> on camera or whatever. The other guest that night, by the way, one was Sofia Vergara. Okay. Ooh, pretty wow. good. And the other one was Natalie Dormer, who, if you're a game of Thrones yeah, fan, we Marjorie. Tyrell, Queen yeah. Marjorie. yeah. So when you, I met, you I fit like, right in. Was fine. when I met Queen Marjorie, I was, Freaking the f out! I met her, and she was so cool. And I, I, when I was walking on stage, because you know you dress, you put on your suit, you get ready, and she would—they literally just do it in order. So she was the second guest, I was the third. I'm walking in, she's walking out. She high fives me. She goes, "Yeah, go get him!" I'm like, "Thanks, Marjorie Tyrell. That's great." <laughs> yeah, your inner Tommen came out on stage all of a sudden as soon as you pass her. Yes. That's awesome. All right, uh, Jonah, yeah. I know we can't have you for much longer, so we're going to wrap things up, but we do it with the fun five, which are five fun questions specific to you. So feel free to spend as little or as much time on these as you like. Uh, question sure. number one, I don't want to spoil your whole season preview because people can check that out whenever it does come out on SI or, or your other various platforms, but mm-hmm. who is your early World Series leader, your your prohibitive favorite? There is no prohibitive favor, but the Cubs are going to be really good. They were very, very good last year. They were a young team, and then they went out and got Hayward, Zobers, and Lackey, kept everybody in port. Well, they haven't kept Fowler, although they might end up having, who knows, maybe by the time this comes out, Fowler might drop on their laps, but everybody else is there. That's a very strong team. And you never, you can't predict success one year to another, mm-hmm. but one thing that helps is when you've got a young core, because young guys tend to get better and old guys tend to get worse. 
So, I mean, Schwarber's going to get a full season, and Addison Russell and Chris Bryant, and you just feel optimistic about guys that are that young. So that, that's a very, very strong team. It's pretty crazy to be talking about the Cubs as a World Series frontrunner, but uh, just in terms of talent and whether you're going by scouting or stats, they're certainly way up there. Uh, question number two, if you could be live the life of any player in the big leagues for one week, who would you pick? Can I go retroactively, like in the past? Uh, sure, yeah, we'll give you a time machine for this one. I want Ricky Henderson. I want to have <laughs> the sw- I want to have the ability of Ricky Henderson. I want to have the swagger of Ricky Henderson. I want to talk in the third person. I want to be Ricky Ricky Henderson. He's like the coolest guy. I don't know, maybe of all time. Yeah, that's a, I think all time is a great answer. Anybody from present day jump out at you? Uh, well, I mean, anybody who's that talented, like I'd like to be able to hit like Bryce Harper or whatever. You know what? I want to be Bartolo. Bartolo's the best. Bartolo's my guy. <laughs> he ends up being the last expo probably to play in Major League Baseball. You know, for a guy who weighs what he and weighs what he does in his build like he does, he's very athletic. Uh, and he just has a lot of fun. You know, he doesn't take it too seriously. He's pitching in the World Series or whatever. It seems like he's pitching in spring training. He seems unflappable. I just think that he has a cool world view. I, I'm a big Bartolo Colon fan. Nice. Two very opposite ends of the spectrum, Ricky Henderson and Bartolo Colon, but yeah. both have a nice yeah. common fabric. Uh, question number three, if you could have attended any baseball game in history in person that you didn't get to go to, which one would you want to be at? Um, hmm. That's a good one. I mean, you know, I'm just fascinated by old, old, old baseball history. Like, I would have liked to have seen Walter Johnson, was it 1924, when he when he was in his prime, just peak Walter Johnson, because he was supposed to be like Pedro Cross with Roger Clemens, Cross with Nolan Ryan. I would have loved to have seen that. So that would have been uh, really something uh, fantastic. I'll go with that. I'll go with the 1924 World Series. How about that? All right. Not bad. Okay. Question number four. You're a native Canadian from Montreal. Uh, you've now lived in the U.S. for quite a while. But what's one thing from Canada, either something from your childhood, something from now, something institutional, a food, a service that Canada has or had that you wish America had and it doesn't? Yeah, the food is, is the big one. Montreal, uh, one of the things it's really well known for is it actually has a bunch of Jewish cuisine, like a bunch of Jewish delis and so forth. New York has that, uh, but I've never lived in New York. I've lived in various other cities, and uh, and I miss that a lot. I go back home, and I just go nuts on various, you know, brined and smoked meats, uh, the, the kind of Jewish desserts, the, like, chocolate danishes and things like that. Those are just, that's the stuff from my childhood, and the thing is, look, I am Jewish, but it's ubiquitous there. I mean, you can, the bagels are unbelievable in Montreal. Uh, in fact, made differently than anywhere else in the world, very different than New York bagels and so forth. And so whatever ethnicity you are, if you grew up in Montreal, you just, you plow that stuff. You eat it all the time. And, and I do go back a couple times a year, uh, especially now that the book uh, Up, Up and Away came out about the Expos. So I just end up gorging myself. Like I just get together with my old buddies, who are, the ones who are still living there anyway, and we just go to all the old haunts. So that's definitely something that I miss in my day-to-day. All right, speaking of Montreal, the last question in the Fun Five, this is a hypothetical Someone gives you a pill, and they say that if you take this pill, every Simpsons episode gets deleted from your memory, and you don't find it funny anymore, like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, but the, okay. expo- but the Expos never leave Montreal. Do you take the pill? Wow. Um, wow. That's a good question. Thank you. Um. I don't think I, well, I, here's why I, I think I might not. The Simpsons influenced me in a whole bunch of ways. It, it made me sharper just in terms of, I'm not a comedian, but I think I try to be light and I try to, you know, have fun with conversations and my podcast has a little bit of this or whatever. And it, it's a big part of my identity, even if I don't do anything 
specifically off of The Simpsons. And the other thing that I would say is that the Expos or some team in Montreal, I think, will probably be back at some point. So it's not like this mm. is a forever. I think that if there was a forever, that might be tougher. But I expect, you know, I might be uh, much older when it happens, <laughs> but uh, I do think that in my lifetime, uh, it's quite conceivable that it could happen. And when you've got Commissioner Manfred saying, oh, yeah, expansion's a possibility, and if we do expand, Montreal's a great candidate. Not me saying that. That's the commissioner of freaking baseball. So I I think that because it seems to be maybe just a temporary hiatus, I would feel better about that. So, you know, Crusty, you're safe. Uh, and Expos, we'll see you in 2027. All right, book it. All right, Jonah, thanks so much for taking the time. Uh, plug, I mean, you have so much stuff in so many places people can find you, but whether it's Twitter, Instagram, your books, where your platforms, where can people find you and some of your work? Yeah, all social media is at Jonah Carey, J-O-N-A-H-K-E-R-I, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that good stuff. Um, books, yeah, definitely check out both books. Uh, one is on the History of the Montreal Expos, even if you've never given a fig about the Montreal Expos, it is really fun. It is the best thing I probably will ever do in my career, which maybe is a little sad because we've already done the best thing, but it, it was re- really, really great. Three years of my life devoted to that. Up, up and away, it's called. Uh, get on Amazon or uh, Indie Bound, even better. Try to buy it off of an indie uh, bookseller would be great. The other book is called The Extra 2%. That's kind of like, uh, I don't know, Poor Man's Moneyball, I guess. It was a really fun book as well. Uh, story of the Tampa Bay Rays and how they came together and just kind of how to build a winning baseball team on a budget. I enjoyed doing that. Uh, my regular writing gigs are for CBS Sports, uh, where I'll be doing writing and video, as well as for Sports Illustrated and SI.com, uh, TV, Catchment, MLB Network. And, and the one that I really, really want to encourage people to check out uh, is just called the Jonah Carey Podcast, J-O-N-A-H-K-E-R-I. And uh, you can find that at Nerdist and just subscribe on iTunes. It'll be out on SoundCloud and Stitcher probably by the time this podcast comes out too. Chris Hardwick, like I said, was my first guest. Some big ass guests coming up. You will know their names, and they're not only well known people, but they're really, really good. And uh, you know, my previous podcast was just focused on baseball. This is going to have more topics. It's going to be fun and funny, but also some re- like real talk. I think you might come out of it and say, "Oh wow, I maybe changed my life view a little yeah, bit." Yeah, the, the Hardwick episode. You guys yeah, got right. really deep on some life issues. It was very, very new, but very good. Thank you. No, I, I really enjoyed that. Chris was, was really real talking it, and he's just an insightful, smart person, and I'm going for that. So, you know, the various men and women who are going to be on the show, I think we'll, we'll definitely bring, I don't know, Chris was really going deep, so it might not be that deep every time. <laughs> and it might be, you know, I'm, I still have a silly and goofy personality, but uh, I think that'll be reflected. I really want it to be, you know, a good, long-form chat show, basically. And, and, and I think podcasts try to do that, and there are some that are successful, uh, but I feel like trying to do it from a sporty perspective is not something that's been done a ton. And, and so that's really my goal here is to have people uh, not only be entertained, but maybe even a little bit fulfilled. All right, Jonah, sounds great. Uh, thank you again very much. Stay on the line after I wrap up here, and we'll just quickly uh, wrap up ourselves off the air. But this was awesome. And again, thanks for taking the time. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. It was my pleasure. All right. And folks, make sure to visit MikeJanella.com for all the previous episodes of The Mike Janella Show and to find out where you can find this episode and all the others. And I'll have all the links to all of Jonah's places so you can make sure not to miss him at all. You'll also find on the website the information for the great outro music you're hearing right now iTunes, Stitcher, MikeJanella.com. Give us all the ratings, the good stars, and all the nice comments. And we will see you next time. Jonah, thanks again. Thanks, Mike.